T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to America. A little extra tonight with the good news at KMOX.com. Very happy to say Yadier Molina and the Cardinals agree to a one-year deal. Gets you pretty excited. I was so happy to see that come through. And it's being confirmed in a couple of different places. Post-Dispatch, also Radio.com Sports Insider John Heyman, both confirming a one-year deal on Monday night. Says the move not only reunites Cardinal fans with their Great duo between him and Adam Wainwright. The teammates will be back for their 17th year in a row, dating back all the way to 2005. Wainwright signed that one-year deal. Seems like just a week or two ago. It was pretty quick, but when you have one, you have the other, and it's so good to see those two play together. I know it's not a guarantee if you have one or the other, but still, you think to yourself, it just doesn't feel right. It's like having peanut butter and jelly, and then the jelly comes back, and the peanut butter says, no, I think you'll have some Nutella. And it's like, no, 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 no. Or, or, or sun butter. No, we'll bring some sun butter in. Yeah, no, give me the peanut butter. They got to be together. And I think that Cardinal fans are lining up and thinking to themselves, this is going to be a season to remember. Molina will likely continue to climb the Cardinals franchise books. Currently top 10 in team history for the war category. Games played third. Hits are sixth. Runs are 10th, doubles are 4th, RBI 7th, sacrifice flies 1st. 38 years old, will face uh, will be the face of the franchise for the better part of the last decade. Gotta love Yachty or Molina. I still have two Yachty jerseys, one for me and one for my son. I purchased our matching jersey, so when we go to the ball game, he, we could uh, look alike, right? So we could both have some fun in a Cardinals jersey. I let him pick who it was going to be. He picked Yachty or Molina. And I'm so glad that we can continue to do so. And with that breaking news here tonight from the last uh, half hour or so, a lot of people in Cardinals Nation will be very happy when they learn that. In fact, what you should probably do is message one of your Cardinals fans and say, hey, did you hear the news? Looks like Molina's coming back for a year. I just heard it on KMOX. And I also posted it on my Facebook page, Ryan Recker Radio. I just heard it on KMOX. That's a great slogan right there. So great news there. 
Also, I wanted to point out with the weird and wild and crazy cold temperatures, freezing rain and snow hitting the area. Roads are slick, so if you're driving around, please be careful. Maybe it's best you don't message your friend if you're behind the wheel. But either way, uh, snow flurries, freezing and drizzle in some spots. AccuWeather looking at this, and they're saying that 70 could expect to be more like uh, snow-like precipitation. Although south of 70 could see more like freezing rain. So depending on where you're at and just uh, hearing the newscast there with Sean, who just did a great job with it, mentioned that it's lightly snowing in downtown. And if depending on where you're at, you can see different things. But it's always a great reminder that when temperatures and conditions are matching like this, just take a couple extra minutes. I'm kind of fortunate where I don't actually have to be in the radio station. These are the type of nights I would always dread. Going into the radio station late at night, I would dread them because by the time I would leave, I would think, okay, now I got to drive home. I don't know what the interstate's going to look like. Luckily, there's not going to be a lot of other cars, but it also means that either the treatment is not going to be kept up as much, or since there's not as many cars, it means that there's going to be a lot of undisturbed snow. And I found myself a lot of times taking, you know, twice as long to get home because of something like that, because you couldn't see the road. And it's already bad enough, you know, you get to the freezing portion and you don't know if you're going to hit something. So just take a couple extra minutes. All right. So let me lay out the show. we got a lot of great things to talk about. Tomorrow starts the impeachment hearings round two for Donald Trump. We'll talk to Rich Rubino about that coming up after the break. Maybe I'll just save all the conversation for Rich Rubino on that. I do want to play Kevin Clean's whole nother story about Grand Haven, Michigan. It makes me want to go up there. Miss Michigan and times when it's beautiful. Now's not the right time for sure. But a listener picked up KMOX in Scandinavia. Isn't that cool? And they sent an audio clip of it. I want to play that for you. If you want to know what 1120 AM sounds like when it's the, the atmosphere is just right in the 1120 AM signal just reaches just the perfect. It's almost like hitting a long field goal. Sometimes you miss a 40 yarder and sometimes you can hit a 60 yarder and you're like, the weather was just perfect enough. I got the backwind and everything. I think that, uh, we hit Scandinavia because of that nice backwind. So also in the next hour, Samuel Mitchum's joining us, author of a book called The Death of Hitler's War Machine. I love historical World War II guests. And we're going to talk to him for a full hour about that. We're also going to be joined with the prime minister of East Turkestan's government in exile. And he is someone that has been following very closely the cruel treatment inside of these prison camps in China. He'll come on and talk about the stories and the things that they're fighting for right now here in the United States, actually, and a lot more to get to on the show tonight. So, Rich Rubino, right after the break, looking forward to spending the next couple of hours with you. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. I love this text message. I thought it was cool picking you up in Wisconsin. Well, I am cool. I listen to Overnight America. Well, that is true by default. And who knows how many other foreign countries may be listening to us right now. Joining us is the author of American Politics on the Rocks, Rich Rubino. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. And hello to Wisconsin. Yes. And we got a email message from someone that recorded uh, us, the radio station, I should say. It was uh, unfortunately not our conversation, but they could be listening right now from Scandinavia on 1120 AM. Isn't that something? Wow, that wow, that is amazing. 
Yeah. Do you know who the uh, diplomat to Scandinavia is? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> okay, I was going to say. I, I don't I think anyone that knows. I think that it's going to be a sleeper issue in the 2024 election is going to be U.S.-Scandinavian <laughs> relations. We're going to look back at that pivotal moment when that was brought up in the Biden administration. And honestly, if you were to go back and talk to every former president that's still alive, you can talk to Joe Biden, Donald Trump, George Bush. You can talk to Barack Obama. None of them would know the name of the diplomat to Scandinavia. Well, it's interesting. I do remember, though, there was an interview um, back in 1999. Annie Hiller uh, from Boston TV station was interviewing George, then Governor George W. Bush, and he asked him the name of a series of leaders, and he asked him who the general was in Pakistan, who the, and he said, oh, general, meaning he essentially didn't know. He asked him a few others, and then finally he got one. The name was um, Lee, and then Bush put back at him, and he said after you know, only getting one out of four leaders, he said, well, do you know who the foreign minister of Mexico is? And any Hiller says, well, no, I don't, but I'm not running for a president of the United States. So that's yeah. something that always happens. <laughs> Remember Amy Klobuchar, when she was running for president, she could not name the president of, uh, of Mexico. And then Pete Buttigieg was asked, he could name it, and Tom Steyer could not name it. Well, there was also, um, was it Ron Johnson, not Ron Johnson, but was asked about the uh, Filippo, was it? I'm trying to remember the reference point. The Who was running as the libertarian candidate there for a while? Gary Johnson. Oh, Gary Johnson. Gary Aleppo. Johnson. Aleppo. Aleppo. Yeah, instead of a Filippo, but Aleppo. Yeah. So they asked him about that, and he also made some headlines because of that. The pop quizzes uh, are dirty at times because I got to say, I was in high school once and was in a speech <laughs> class, and the teacher asked me who the vice president was. I knew who the vice president was. It was Al Gore at the time. But when someone asks you, sometimes your mind goes blank, and I have fall prey to that in the past. Oh, no, absolutely. The same thing happened with Rick Perry. Remember back in 2012 when Ron <laughs> Paul was asked him, which, he said, which three departments would you cut? And then he says, um, um, and he couldn't name, he couldn't name it, and he couldn't name energy. And then he said, yeah. oops. And then, um, and of course, he <laughs> becomes Secretary of Energy in the Trump administration, the irony of it all. Oh, that's great. So tomorrow starts the second impeachment trial, and I saw that in the last couple of hours Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer apparently laid the groundwork. Here's what's going to happen. I didn't know if you had a chance to see some of the different things that they're going to yeah. be doing. And I was wondering if, if it compares to previous impeachment trials or if this one is going to look different. Uh, it's going to look different in a respect that there's only going to be, you know, one article. Um, it's certainly not going to take 83 days, which is what Andrew Johnson's took, for example. It's most likely going to be over in a week. Um, then you also have the issue of essentially... Um, there's probably there's most uh, there's almost no chance, barring cataclysm, that Donald Trump um, will be convicted. Uh, my my supposition is all 50 Democrats will vote for conviction, and then uh, you'll probably have Senator Toomey, uh, Senator from Pennsylvania, Senator Collins from Maine, Mitt Romney uh, from Utah, probably Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. Potentially, you could have some. You could have Ron Portman from Ohio simply because he's not running for re-election in 2022. But he's probably uh, he's probably a long shot. You may potentially get one or two others, like for example, in the in, a, in the House impeachment trial, you had Tom Rice of South Carolina, who virtually nobody thought was going to was going to vote for impeachment. He was pretty much a Trump partisan. Now he's going to have a primary challenge. But um, so essentially, you won't get the 67 votes. It'll be over in a week. And because uh, one of the lawyers, uh, one of the lawyers is an Orthodox Jew, he will not be the the trial will not be occurring on Saturday because it's the Sabbath, and it will instead be on um, they will instead do it on Sunday. The other thing that's different is Pat Leahy, 
who's the Senate pro temporaire, meaning he's essentially the, the, the longest serving member of the Senate. He's been in there since 1975. He's a, who, who's actually who's a senator from Vermont, one of the most liberal members. He will be presiding because the Chief Justice, John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the United States, says that he will not preside over a trial over a former president. So there's going to be some um, issues when you have some sort of parliamentary procedures, for example, and a Republican asks for something, and Senator Leahy, if he denies it, the Republicans are immediately going to say, well, that's because he's partisan, that's because he's anti-Trump. So he's kind of in a no-win situation. And, of course, you're going to have the situation where um, you're going to have Senator Leahy, who's actually interesting, someone who can actually vote while serving as kind of the de facto moderator. as also a senator who's almost assuredly going to vote for a conviction is going to be essentially um, up there reading the question. So that's something that's kind of um, that's kind of unpre- that's kind of unprecedented. But I think just the fact that this is going to be so judicious and so speedy because virtually everybody knows what the results are going to be is what's going to make this kind of um, kind of unprecedented. That being said, the last impeachment trial for Bill Clinton, by the way, in 1998, virtually everybody thought that he was going to be that he was not going to be convicted. He'd be acquitted as well. And of course, he is because obviously that 67 votes is a very high bar. And I was listening to some different interviews, and over the weekend, Trey Gowdy was on Fox. Maybe yep. it was today. And let me just play the very last portion of his interview. I, you should be able to hear it on your end, but I wanted to get your thoughts on how he brings this up. Um, it, it's all for the court of public opinion. Nancy Pelosi admitted that last week. It's for the court of public opinion. It's not for the 100 senators. Okay, so it's for the court yep. of public opinion. And running an impeachment trial to try to convict a president that is no longer in office uh, for the court of public opinion. Is that pretty much uh, a given at this point? Is, does everyone accept that? Yeah, I think so. I think you could also theoretically make the case that it's about history. It's about um, how people are going to look back on this 50 years from now, what the precedent is going to be. And of course, certainly if another president does something in, say, 25 years, they will look back on this. They'll say, well, this is what happened to Donald Trump. But yeah, for all practical purposes, it's really um, just for the court of, of the court of, per, of public opinion. I don't really see, I don't envisage any scenario whatsoever where Donald Trump is actually convicted. Yeah, and I also wonder because you mentioned about Chief Justice Roberts not presiding over this one. It's kind of weird too that you have the person that is presiding over this also have a vote as a senator. And yeah. it does seem like there is a conflict of interest. Why is it that they call a senator to do that and not bring someone else in? Uh, that's essentially what the Constitution says. It's interesting because so the, and it's also the so the Presidential Succession Act of 1947. This changes it a little bit. Prior to that, the, the line of the presidency it went president, vice president, then Secretary of State. So the Secretary of State, um, you know what? It, so the, so the, it used to be for, now what it is is it's president, vice president. Then if the president and the vice president both reside, then it's Speaker of the House, and under that it's Senate pro tempore which is interesting because the Senate pro tempore is usually the longest serving member of the majority party. So they're usually the oldest member. That Leahy is 80. You used to have someone like Carl Hayden, Strom Thurmond, when he was in his 90s, held that position. Bob Byrd held that position. There was one moment right after September 11th when George W. Bush was addressing a joint session of Congress, and they thought that it was, um, that it was not safe to have Dick Cheney there. So instead of Dick Cheney, you had Robert Byrd sitting behind uh, President George W. Bush. But I guess it's kind of similar, though. If you think about it, in the Senate generally, there's always a presiding officer. Theoretically, the vice president could do it. Up until the time of Alvin Barkley, the vice president actually did that. They would actually sit up there and they would actually say, you know, I recognize that a senator from Arkansas and they would do this ceremonial duty. 
Now the vice president, essentially, they're, cut. they're there Tuesdays, essentially, for the opening session when the Senate's in session. And usually they're not there unless there's going to be a tie-breaking vote or there's going to be a joint session, or there's going to be a photograph, something that's kind of ceremonial. They have an office in the, in the they have an office in the um, in the, in the Capitol, and they're actually paid as legislators, not as executives. But generally speaking, they are not there. But as I say, usually the person that's presiding, and it's, it's always a member of the majority party, um, they theoretically have a vote too, and yet they're presiding. I guess you could say the same thing in the House. You know, when the Speaker of the House or the Speaker pro tem is recognizing members, they're also voting members because they're members themselves. It's not like you have some sort of a um, nonpartisan referee that comes from the outside. So obviously, whoever's in the majority party, you would think would be, would be would be um, would be biased would be biased toward their own side. So if they do rule on something that benefits their own side, obviously the other side will come back and say well, that's because that person is also a partisan. Because while they're up there. They're up there for, say, two hours. Then they get down there. Then theoretically, they could then go to the rostrum and give a speech in favor or opposed to something. So there is always kind of that conflict. And theoretically also, um, in the House of Representatives, the Speaker of the House, they are allowed to vote. But generally speaking, they only vote in a case of a tie. But they they are voting members, assuming that they are actually members. Theoretically, the Constitution does not say anything that they have to be members, but every member has been. So they're also they're also members that have congressional districts, but they're also you know serve as speaker of the house, and that can be kind of a conflict of interest as well. Mm, Richard Bino, American Politics on the Rocks, is his book. You can find him at politicalgeek.com. And I was looking online because I was thinking, okay, is there going to be a State of the Union this year? And they are speculating it could be on February twenty third, which is two weeks from Tuesday. So. What happens if they're still going through the impeachment trial at that point? Do they do all the senators sit there and they go through the impeachment trial and then they go and get a, a late supper and then the cleaning crew comes in and then they clean the hall out and they go and do the State of the Union that night? Theoretically, yes, but I think that most senators are expecting that it's going to be over prior to that. They're only oh, wow, that quick. right now that it's going to be a week. But no, I mean, I guess theoretically they could do that. They could be having the session during the day, although the, the, although the session is actually in a Senate chamber. When the president delivers their State of the Union, they do it in the House chamber, so they wouldn't necessarily have to clean it out that way. Okay, so not a crossover in that sense. So no. they just have to go and pick their seat the other way around. Um, who is it on the House side that always like gets there early and stakes out a seat? I can't remember who it was. Yeah, a couple. There. So he actually lost re-election to... to Jamal Bowen this past time, but there's Elliot Engel, the former chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, also a member of the Energy Committee. He would always get there like six, seven hours, and he'd be right there, and he'd always be shaking the person's hand, um, the president's hand as they come in. Another one who always tends to do it is um, Sheila Jackson Lee from Texas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Usually when she does it, if you watch her, she'll always, she, so she represents a very NASA intensive district around Houston. So usually when the president or when the president comes by, if you actually listen to her, she always says something to the effect of remember NASA, support NASA, something to that. I guess she figures she's getting a free time essentially with the president. Usually the president goes by and they'll shake the hand and they'll keep on going. You'll see some others sometimes will try to lobby and also um, for that, you know, 15 seconds. And sometimes they'll give them they'll give the president something. Um, probably not this time, but they'll give him something and the president will autograph it. And it's usually, though, it's members of the president's party that tend to kind of gravitate toward him. Um, but sometimes you do have members of the other party that are always there. It actually became an issue back in 2006. So you had Joe Lieberman, actually 2005, that is. Joe Lieberman, a senator from Connecticut, uh, was running for re-election in 2006. 
And he was trying to distance himself from George W. Bush because Lieberman was kind of one of the last believers, one of the last Democrats who supported Bush in, men, in many respects on the Iraq war. So Bush was coming, was coming around, Lieberman was kind of on the end, and Bush literally went and kissed Lieberman on the cheek. He kissed Lieberman on the cheek, and then Ned Lamont, who's running against him in the Democratic primary, makes that the flagship issue of this campaign that Bush would actually seek out Lieberman and he'd kiss him to say, why is, you know, why is George W. Bush kissing a Democratic senator? And then Lieberman had to come back, and he says, well, you know, I ran against George W. Bush, meaning that he'd run against him um, when he was running for vice president. You know, I'm not George W. Bush, and he tried to distance himself, but you had this picture uh, just everywhere of Lieberman, and he actually made up um, buttons of it. I'm sure you can see it on YouTube. You can see it online, of George W. Bush kissing uh, Joe Lieberman, and then you had, you had a circumstance where Bill Clinton then had to come to Connecticut and hug Joe Lieberman. So then Joe Lieberman said, had another pen. They said, this is the hug from Bill Clinton, you know, as opposed to the kiss from George W. Bush. So essentially what happened, um, Joe Lieberman could not disallegate himself from George W. Bush. He lost that primary, but he ran again as an independent. He garnered the signatures, and then he beat Ned Lamont in the general election. You know, if I had to guess, if you had, you know, a million and a half dollars, you would have an awesome political button collection. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that from, from what I know, the best one, um, I think Ken Rudin, who hosts The Political Junkie, is supposedly one of the um, best political button collectors probably out there today. We have one here in St. Louis. I, I don't know if it's still on display or not. The Mercantile Library um, has a, the, I don't know if it's an exhibit that extends for a couple of years, but it was a couple of years ago where it was just um, newspapers and things. And it had all kinds of awesome different types of newspapers and publications and artwork and stories. And, and they also had a political button exhibit inside of it, which was pretty cool. So, uh, Rich, do you mind holding on after the break? I categorically. Yes, <laughs> he's the author of American <laughs> Politics on the Rocks, polita-geek.com. You can find him there. Rich Rubino, our guest on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. They're playing Get ready for Billikens basketball as they take on Rhode Island Wednesday night. Pre-game 745, tip-off at 8. Hear it here on your home for Billikens basketball, KMOX. 
It's Overnight America. Thanks for joining us here. You know, believe it or not, it's actually harder to find who is the diplomat to some of these Scandinavian countries. I thought it would be an easy search, but (laughs) I thought I'd come back and have a fun fact or something, but not so much. Rich Rabino, author of American Politics on the Rocks, politi-geek.com. And if rich people wanted to look you up online, where can they look for you? You It might be actually, you have to, I think, have to look up the individual country as opposed to Scandinavian general, I think, but... That's the thing. There's a list of diplomatic missions, list of diplomats in the region, but then I'm having a hard time finding their names. Like it shows the countries, but it doesn't necessarily say the individual names of who's representing you. you know I'm you still having look, a hard time. Yeah, you should look to the. I guess this would be um, to see who gives them, who gives um, to go through all the donors to the presidential candidates, and eventually you'll find who the ambassador to the Scandinavian country is. <laughs> That's usually how it cool. works. I love it. Um, yeah. So if people wanted to find you on yep. social media, what's a good spot? Uh, Twitter, just type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L, or go to um, www.politi-geek.com, or just go to Facebook and type in Rich Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Perfect. So we're just a couple of weeks into the Biden administration. Do you have any observations of his first couple of weeks? Anything that comes to mind or stands out to you? Yep. Um, well, I think that part of it is it's just it's fascinating um, how you've already seen uh, four Republican senators, two of them had announced prior to the election, but are not running for reelection in 2022. Um, I don't know what exactly that means, but it's something that's probably beneficial to Joe Biden, um, simply because the chances are that he's going to lose the Senate and probably lose the House, just if you look historical precedent. Um, it's so close right now. There's literally 223 Republicans now that Claudia Tenney from uh, New York State was just declared the winner in one district in New York by 106 votes. So it's a hot to the, and then in the, in the uh, Senate, it's literally 50 to 50. So Alabama, Richard Shelby's denounces retirement. That's probably most likely going to go for the Democrat. But in Pennsylvania and Ohio and North Carolina, all three battleground or showdown states is a very good chance, probably 50-50 right now that a Democrat could take two of those, could take some of those seats. And then, you know, also have, they also have the defense seats like Arizona, uh, where Mark Kelly is filling out the unexpired term of his, of his, of his predecessor. Um, and then in the other side, you have um, the seat in Georgia, where Raphael Warnock just won it. But of course, it's an unexpired term of a um, senator who had, um, who had left for health reasons, Johnny Isaacson. So that's interesting. And also the fact, I think, that so far Joe Biden has not done very much to alienate the left, which is interesting because I think the left was always incredulous toward Joe Biden. They never really viewed him as one of them. They looked at some of his voting record, his support for the resolution in Iraq, his um, vociferous support for the drug war, support for the credit card industry, predator drone strikes. But so far, he really has not done very much uh, to alienate the left wing of the Democratic Party. You have not heard many murmurs uh, from Bernie Sanders or from AOC kind of excoriating them yet. But, of course, you know, it's obviously just been the first couple, the first month or so uh, of the Joe Biden presidency. Obviously, you're going to hear um, some murmurs as he does do some as he does do some agenda items that do not necessarily um, be that do not necessarily fit kind of the progressive wish list. But I think that the Democrats realize that, you know, um, how much they kind of need each other right now, because essentially you need 50 votes on just about, you know, in the Senate for in terms of reconciliation. But and then the House, obviously, you know, every single Democrat is extremely important. That's why, for example, if you take a Democrat out of the House to um, become a part of the Biden administration, if they're from a swing district, um, you could potentially lose that seat. But if they're not 
at least for two or three months while, while the governor declares a special election. You don't have that seat. They need just about every seat. And also, I think probably the most important person in Washington right now, as opposed to Joe Biden, is probably Joe Manchin. <laughs> it's interesting. The yeah. senator from West Virginia, he is so powerful right now because this is somebody who, um, if you look at his voting record, he's somebody who's pro-gun. He's someone who's against abortion rights, but he's also somebody who voted for the who voted for the impeachment. He was one of the only the only Republican that voted for Brett Kavanaugh, the only Democrat rather. So his voting record is really um, something that is can really go either way. It's very nebulous. So as a result, on just about every single piece of legislation, the Democrats and Republicans are so close they immediately say, "Where's Joe Manchin on this? Where's Joe Manchin on that?" And it's something I guess can really benefit West Virginia. Theoretically, you could say, "I'll vote for this piece of legislation if you do this for my state, if you do that for my state." But he's really in the catbird seat. Like probably never, no senator that I can think of. You know, in the last probably hundred years, is this powerful? Not because he's necessarily chairman of a committee or part of the leadership. He's just in the right position right now, in the right time. And I think two years, this, the first two years of the Joe Biden administration, he's probably the most important member of the United States Congress right now. Of some of those different things that Joe Biden has been pushing and uh, advocating for, some executive orders and such may, and it even talks about some things that may be happening, like the Keystone Pipeline is an, a, a good example, oh, yeah. because when you start to hear some of the big things that, uh, you know, like a progressive agenda would try to push, you would have some very huge, you know, like the Green New Deal comes to mind. So you get these really giant multi-trillion dollar packages and things that are being uh, proposed. And you wonder, what of these progressive ideas that have been floated in the past do you think are most likely to happen? So environmental, I think, is one that would probably be somewhat likely that he keeps moving in that direction. I just don't know how far he would go. You know, Looking at things like even Mitt Romney bringing up what would be almost like a universal basic income light to try to give you know, checks. If you have kids, they'll give you, you know, 350 a month or something, you know, there's, so there, there's all kinds of these ideas that have been pushed around. And I thought, man, these are some things that a lot on the progressive left have been trying to push for, for a while. Was it just waiting for someone like Joe Biden to get in for them to be able to try to get what they want? I'm curious, some of these different things that have been floated, what you think is most likely to happen? Yeah, it's interesting about the universal basic income, even if watered down one, that was something go back to Nixon proposed it in 72, the government supported it. It did have. It has had some Republican support in the past. Um, Andrew Yang really made it kind of his flagship issue and kind of put it on the political sphere when he ran for president last time around. Now he's running for mayor of New York City, and he wants to do it more in a, in a municipal form. So it's become an issue that's really become mainstreamed. And obviously, if you have Republican support, presumably you might get someone like Susan Collins as well. That gives political cover. Um, so that Joe Biden does not can, cannot say that this is some sort of so that the opponents of Joe Biden at least moderate opponents and those who potentially maybe are kind of incredulous to him but are but are just dis disaffected with the right wing of the Republican Party can say okay this is a mainstream proposal so that's something in terms of the Green New Deal I don't really see that uh, going anywhere just because I don't see the votes beyond the progressive left in both the House and the Senate I actually think of Joe Biden more right now is kind of where Lyndon Johnson was when he came into office. So when Lyndon Johnson ran himself in 1960, he was certainly not the candidate of the left. That was Hubert Humphrey. And then when he became vice president, um, he was seen as more kind of a moderate. And then when Kennedy died, I think a lot of the folks on the left thought Johnson was going to be more or less an establishment Democrat, somewhat to the right. Instead, he essentially became a tribune of the liberal agenda, everything from civil rights to Medicare, the Red Extermination Act, the War on Poverty. Um, the ch elementary and secondary education reauthorization. He gave the left essentially everything they wanted in those first two years. 
very similar to what the case of Joe Biden. He was never really a creature of the left. In many respects, he was somebody who the left had always opposed. You know, go back to what they said about him during the drug war and during his, you know, support for the resolution in Iraq. But so far, he has not really done anything that's anathema to the liberal agenda. But that being said, and this is, I mean, so far, a lot of this is executive orders, which just means that as soon as a Republican comes in, they can rescind him on day one. So he really needs something. If he really needs a legislative agenda, something to actually get through the United States Congress. In Lyndon Johnson's case, he had overwhelming majorities in the House and the Senate. So for him, it was just a matter of trying to get conservative Democrats like Wilbur Mills of Arkansas on the Ways and Means Committee to support some of his proposals, or Harry Byrd, for example, to support his tax cut at the time. Um, so it was. So it's. it's it, so it's kind of. It's inter- It's interesting because Joe Biden. I mean, he needs. You know. Um, he needs to get something done legislatively as well if he wants to actually cement some sort of a legacy. I mean, even Bill Clinton in his first two years, when he had a Democratic majority and he actually had a six, six um, he was, had about 56 Democrats in his first year in office, when he passed his Budget Reconciliation Act of 1993, he still had six defectors of his own party, plus every Republican voting against it. In the House of Representatives, he had a litany of, Democrat, of Democrats, like the conservative Blue Dog Democrats, voting against it. But Joe Biden obviously needs every solitary Democrat in line. So it's, and, and Bill Clinton had a stimulus package that never got anywhere, and he had a health care plan that never even got a vote in the United States Senate. So um, it's, very, it's a very interesting how Joe Biden is going to kind of navigate these waters, but he's doing everything he possibly can by executive order. But as I say, that just means that the next president can rescind it on day one. Now, I saw the news yesterday that George Schultz passed away at the yes. age of 100, um, and he worked for multiple administrations. He had his hand in some pretty important things involving this country. Are there any stories or memories that come to mind at his term or in his time in office? Yeah, um, well, it was it's interesting. I guess one was that he was um, somewhat of an opponent in the in, in, of President Nixon, certainly in Watergate, he wanted him to he wanted him to come in. And he wanted him to fire some folks, and he did not do it. He actually served, you know, three. He served three administrations. Um, he actually was a member, was an alumni of Princeton University, and at one time on a plane, one of the reporters found out that he actually had the Princeton Tiger tattooed um, on his back. And asked him, and George Shultz said, you know, I've gone through so many investigations, you know, uh, I've gone through this, everyone's investigating me, that's something that no one's ever um, actually found out that I actually do have um, a Princeton Tiger uh, tattooed <laughs> on my other backside. So I guess that's kind of an uh, interesting, um, it's, that would be kind of an interesting antidote. He was also someone that was kind of, that was actually somewhat hawkish, and he actually wanted Ronald Reagan to take military action after uh, Beirut, remember the Be- Beirut, uh, Remember the Beirut barracks fire, which killed about 241 uh, people, um, Americans, back in 1983. Ronald Reagan did not do it, but George Shultz was certainly um, was certainly an advocate of that. He's somebody that I think was probably off the reservation in terms of where the Republican Party has gone, at least um, at least under Trump. He's somebody, for example, who supported a carbon tax, and with Jim Baker, who was also a Secretary of State under George H. W. Bush, uh, were two of kind of the uh, supporters. Of that, and it just—it's interesting. Also, you know, he remember he came. He one of the one of his predecessors as Secretary of State. I think all the, I think back to was L. Haig, and L. Haig was the one who was seen as kind of a cowboy and someone who said, "I'm in charge." After Reagan was um, after Reagan was shot, but not assassinated. Of course, George H. W. Bush was in Texas at the time, so his thing his his theory was that, well, I'm in Washington, so I'm in charge. George Shultz was more or less kind of a behind the scenes guy, I think. 
And I think that in terms of kind of the ending of the Cold War, he was one of the ones that kind of recommended um, George H.W. Bush not go up and try to, you know, go barnstorm the country, having rallies, how great this is, but to kind of be somewhat subdued. Um, and that was obviously a very interesting time as the Soviet Union was breaking up into the pieces. The question is, do you invite the former Soviet Union? Do you kind of bring him to our side, invite him into NATO, which he didn't do? Or do you kind of continue to have an adversary relationship, or do you kind of just, or do you just kind of try to do everything you possibly can to support the Gorbachev regime? I think that was kind of um, that was kind of the path that he took. But he certainly, with folks like George Kennan and you know Dean Rusk, he's one of the least the most influential um, foreign policy officials, certainly of the um, certainly of the last century, who never had presidential ambitions himself. Mm. So like if people LA, again wanted. To- uh, find you online and some of the things you're doing. Where can they look? Yep, just go to politic www.politageek.com. Uh, find me on Facebook at Rich Rubino R U B I N O, or just go to Twitter at Rich Rubino P O L. Perfect. And uh, politageek.com and his book American Politics on the Rocks. He's working on another one. Can't wait to hear an update on that sometime soon. I know it's got to be close to uh, getting that one out. Still working on it. It's um, it's a very arduous process. Um, it's gonna it's it's taking it's taking a while, but it will it will definitely be out. You know what you need to do is put a false fact in there that doesn't really have any consequence, just to see if people are ripping you off. That would be you know that's interesting. I've seen there's somebody that does that on Twitter. They find out false facts about the president, so they'll find out something one president did and they'll give it credit to somebody else. And um, I have actually um, thought about doing that. I've thought about just seeing if somebody corrects me, because the reason I mention this is in my first book, I would, in my, I, I quote it, every time I mentioned Harry Truman, I'd put Harry S. Period Truman. And mm-hmm. so somebody wrote a uh, Amazon review and criticized that and said that there should not be a period after the S. So mm-hmm. um, you look it up, and actually it's a controversy in the Truman community. This is one of those you know, contentious issues of our time, I guess. And the Truman <laughs> yeah. Library in Independence, Missouri, actually writes, has a, little, a couple paragraphs explaining why you do need to put the period after the S, but it just amazes me that somebody would be that um, vociferous about the fact that there should not be an S, that they would actually write it in a review. I get it. Rich Rubino, <laughs> author of American Politics on the Rocks, and no periods needed for that one. We'll uh, talk to you again next week, Rich. It's so good. Thanks for uh, catching up with us here on KMOX. Absolutely, indeed. And he joins us on the Bomberino Automotive Group guest line. This is one of my uh, favorite segments of all the week on Mondays when we get a chance to talk to Rich Rubino on Overnight America KMOX. <laughs> This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. I want to give you an update on my life real quick. Um, I started I started putting a blanket over my legs in the basement. I don't know why it took me so long to do this, but this might be one of the smartest decisions I've made this year of 2021 easily. I don't know why it's being in this cold basement. I've always been cold. I thought, why in the world am I not using this blanket? That's just a couple of feet away from me. I got this nice alpaca blanket feels wonderful. So in case you were wondering, I am nice and comfortable in this cold basement. I know a lot of you do wonder those things online. (laughs) I saw this come from deadline and this was just updated. Super Bowl ratings still being processed and verified. So normally we'd have an idea of how many people watch the Super Bowl. How many millions and millions and millions of people? Was it more? Was it less? Is it uh, how many people showed interest? Well, we don't know. All we know 
is that Kansas City was the top market, the number one market when it comes to ratings. Uh, So the rating in the Kansas City market between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers was 59.9, the largest of any of the nation's largest markets. So big news there. Number two was Boston, not Tampa. So that was it, too. Boston had 57.6 rating there, and Tampa was third with 52.3. But we don't know the official numbers yet. That's a little bit strange, right? Normally, they're saying that they have to double-check and they want to verify, and they anticipate the final viewing figures will be available to the media tomorrow, meaning Tuesday. One quick thing I wanted to bring up, too. We got this email from a man by the name of Oyvid Vang. And I had to be careful when I said that because I didn't want it to be one of those prank call situations where I say their name and it's, you know, you, you say it out loud and then you realize, oh, it's a little bit off. 64, lives in Norway, was able to pick up KMOX in Overnight America. Hey, welcome back to Overnight America. I'm looking through some social media right now. That's what it sounds like if you were to listen to 1120 AM in Norway. Scratchy, but still... Isn't that amazing? He lives in a small town called Trondhelm, Norway, and he was able to listen to Overnight America out there. Such a cool thing. Joining us next hour is Samuel Mitchum. He's the author of a book called The Death of Hitler's War Machine. Fascinating look there. I love history interviews, and he comes up next on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.